Hello and welcome to the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and uh, this is a special uh, day on the podcast. It marks our 50th episode. Uh, we've come a long way since eight months ago We had uh, when we had Neil Harvey on as our first guest, and I still remember the day the you know, given this a whirl, uh, you know, at the time I thought, you know, um, there aren't uh, many squash podcasts, if any, that uh, keep regular episodes coming. So I made a, a promise to myself that I that I would try to get something out uh, once a week. Neil was the first guest. He was, couldn't have asked for a better squash legend than Neil Harvey to come on as my first guest. And it just kept going and getting better from there. And uh, now we're up to episode 50, and I think we've really come a long way. We've done uh, some incredible episodes. Each and every guest who's come on, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed it. Back from uh, all the way back, Neil Harvey, we had Ron Beck, we had Steve Coppinger, Mike Way came on. Uh, we had uh, Rob Dinnerman twice, most recently in the last episode with... Um, <clears throat> With his uh, to talk about his book, the Sharif Khan, uh, Sheriff of Squash biography. Zali Frag, Paul Cole, Sarah Jane Perry, Tessney Evans, who just the, the two of them just played a classic at the U.S. Open. Gregory Galchier uh, has been on, and he uh, again uh, and Ali Farag, uh, both of them playing a classic at the U.S. Open uh, yesterday as well. Uh, the season's gotten off to a, a great start. And uh, we've had many of, of the players come on to the podcast. Paul Cole, uh, he'll have a big match uh, tonight against the world number one, Mohamed El Sherbagi. Uh, I've been lucky to have many of these uh, squash players on the podcast. Lawrence Anjuma, um, we've had John White, Martin Heath, uh, so many uh, great players. And uh, like I often say, like a kid in a candy store, once I get, uh, sometimes I forget that I'm recording these things and uh, forget to record, which. Uh, happened very briefly on today's episode but uh, managed to catch it right at the beginning. We've had some great Canadian content. I'm really proud of that. We've had uh, Sam Coronet, Danielle Latorno, Nick Sackfee, Andrew Schnell, Steve Wren, uh, Sean Delier. Episode 50 is today. We've had some great ones. If you haven't uh, listened uh, to any of them uh, leading up to this one, please go back and take a look at the catalog. Uh, there are 50 out there so I'm sure, definitely sure, you'll be able to find something on there that you'll like. And today is no exception. Uh, for the 50th episode, I thought, why not get one of these new uh, up-and-coming players to come on to mark the uh, 50 and beyond uh, to bring uh, the new season, the new campaign, the new generation uh, of players that are going to be coming up and challenging uh, the top players uh, going forward. And... Uh, this guy uh, started the season off brilliantly, uh, winning in Nantes, uh, taking out James Wilstrup, his doubles partner in the Commonwealth Games, where they won a bronze medal. Uh, Declan James is on the podcast today, and uh, he was it was a really good chat that we had. And he started off the season very well with a win, as I said, and then uh, having a good run there at the uh, the U.S. Open with some uh, some good wins in his first and second round matches and then uh, a tough uh, loss, 3-1 loss uh, to Tarek Moman. I would have to say uh, he had a bit of uh, fatigue going on there, but uh, you know he, uh, he didn't admit to that. He just said uh, Tarek got the better of him. So, uh, yeah, uh, that could be true, but uh, you know, I saw a little fatigue in the leg. So hopefully uh, you know, it's been a, it's a long couple of weeks uh, for him, and 
I'm sure he was a, a bit tired without really uh, without really knowing it there. So, anyways, Declan uh, James is on the podcast today. I'm really excited uh, to have you listen to this. You'll you'll really enjoy it. Uh, now, before we get into the podcast, um, I played uh, a little bit of squash <clears throat> earlier in the week, and uh, one of the things with my game, anyways, is that. Uh, I sort of pride myself, at least at my age, for, for being quite fit. And, you know, uh, I could go four or five, six games without taking a break. I might do that uh, just in terms of uh, in improving my fitness. Um, but uh, earlier in the week I played against a guy that I typically I, I would beat. And, um, yeah, I, I got the better of him this time. But um, it was like almost from midway through the first game, I started. I was out of breath. I was quite, you know, I got winded quite easily, and and it just uh, didn't go away. Uh, I I go out take a break after I took a break after the second game, and pretty much in between every game after that, which is unusual for me. And uh, so I was just wondering, uh, you know, I had been sick uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was quite sick. I had to go to the hospital. Uh, spent uh, a few hours there on a drip, and then you know felt better after that. Uh, and then uh, for about a week there, I, di- I didn't feel perfectly, uh, didn't feel that well after that. And then last week felt much better. But uh, on the squash court for that <clears throat> that one game, anyways, uh, yeah, I did. I was, you know, my heart rate was uh, way up there, and it just seemed like I was getting tired quite easily. So I figured it was probably because of the illness and maybe the the antibiotics that I'd taken. Uh, previously uh, after the illness but um, anyways what I, what I wanted to um, mention here was uh, some of the commentary I posted uh, this on Facebook I said <clears throat> incredibly challenging day on court typically my fitness is rarely an issue but today for some reason I was out of breath from about the middle of the first game onward normally I play about three games on the trot before taking a water break or a rest but today I needed to sit and rest and catch my breath after each game from about game three onward. Definitely not the norm for me. Could have been a poor night's rest, an illness that I've recently recovered from or something else. Has this type of inexplicable fatigue occurred with anyone in this way? So some of the comments that I got, I got quite a few, were, uh, were quite interesting. Uh, some of them were a bit cheeky as well. Um, you know, Ben Welton said, have a few days off and see how you do. You're likely coming down with something by the sounds of it. I had come down. I think it might be the opposite. But uh, And Michael uh, Sheriston uh, said, get down to six fags a day. <clears throat> okay, well, um, I don't smoke. <clears throat> and um, so, yeah, uh, that that's not it. Uh, possibly low energy levels. You, and I did not eat that well uh, leading up to the match, so that could have been it. That's uh, Squash Stories uh, CEO Jamie Maddox. Um, who uh, there was another? There were a couple of good ones. Hey, remember that not everyone, uh, not every day, one has the same stamina. One day you're down performance, and one day you're up again. It happens on every level, no matter what age. Okay, and Chris Brand- Van Bruman um, says it could be the Black Death. So. Uh, not too sure about that, but um, and then Philip Crane may have hit the nail on the head. He told me to stop playing golf. I'm uh, not sure if I want to do that, but that could be, uh, you know, that could I could be taking my eye off the ball there by playing a little 
too much golf. He says golf will not help your fitness on court. No, it won't. If you're right, Philip, it won't. Uh, and then uh, finally, um, uh, Bruce Stoughton uh, said it happened to me. Turned out to be exercise-induced asthma. Get it checked out. So, <clears throat> well, I will get it checked out if it persists. So, um, but I don't think it will. Um, I think it was a one-off. Uh, I feel pretty good today. Still suffering from a little bit of a cold and a bit of congestion, but nothing like it was a few weeks ago. So, uh, thanks for all that feedback, by the way. Some of it uh, quite funny. And some of the quite, oh, and Rob Greengrass asked uh, if I got lucky the night before. That could be it. Um, no, the answer is no on that one. But, um, anyways, everyone, uh, that was that is that. And uh, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast, episode 50 with Declan James, episode 50, the big 5 0. Known quantity, you know, um, a bit of uncertainty in the air because you've done sort of. A couple of months of really hard summer training, um, but equally you've been away from competitive squash for, you know, the best part of three, um, possibly even four months. So going into the start of the season is always quite an interesting time. And I guess sort of looking back over the years, it's not always been where I've had my best results. Um, I have had some good starts to the season before, don't get me wrong, but it, uh, it, it can be a bit of an unknown, as I said. So, yeah, um, to go to France and win my first event was good. Um, I think more so just from a point of knowing what I needed to work on in the summer in terms of trying to improve certain areas of my game, and then it's sort of working straight away. I think when you put some hard work in and it pays off quickly, it's kind of uh, a nice reminder as to why you do that hard work in the first place. Um, you know that tournament in France was in some ways a bit of a breakthrough for me uh, mentally if nothing else just to know that I can compete with someone like James um, uh, and be on the winning side you know because that sort of level was what I was yet to yet sort of get a winner I suppose Um, and then of course after that the questions are always going to be you know was it just sort of uh, a one-off or have you really actually made those strides forward? So I guess um, Philadelphia and the US Open was was as much about me sort of proving a point to myself as much as anything else in terms of making sure that I backed up that result, you know, sort of respectably. Um, so to go into the last 16 and have a fairly decent run at someone like a Tarek was a positive sign. Of course, you don't want to be losing in the third round of any event but uh well, say, it's been a big one though so you did uh, <clears throat> major everyone's yeah. there and everyone wants to win um so i mean you kind of have to just take the positive with it you know you don't want to sort of um to dwell over it too much um, absolutely so, yeah. yeah yeah just overall. to just to uh just to go back i i, I uh, I just want to revisit the, the bio here because I forgot to record. He's the winner of 13 PSA titles, sitting at the top of the rankings at number 20, bronze medalist at the Commonwealth Games in uh, uh, Australia over the summer, and winner in Nance uh, most recently and the third round run at the U.S. Open. Declan, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Now, uh, you did answer my next question now that Nance is in the uh, the rear view uh, uh, mirror, so to speak, uh, 
how important was it to get off on such a good start? And you alluded to that with the summer training that you put in and the things that you tried to work on. That's definitely got to generate some uh, good momentum for you going forward. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think squash and sport in general is a confidence game, you know. I think it's really important that... uh, that you make the most of those times when you're feeling confident or try and maximize the amount of times when you're feeling confident because it does count for a lot. And of course, there's no sort of better source of confidence than getting um, a tournament win or winning a big match, you know? So it's kind of, uh, you've got to sort of ride that wave as much as you can. And I guess that's what the top guys are able to do is, is um, maintain that confidence for the longest periods because of the, uh, the amount of matches they're winning, you know? Yeah, for sure. Now, um, now you're one of the younger guys coming up. I mean, you're t- I think you're 25, if I'm not mistaken, 25 years old. Uh, now, you, you got, as you mentioned, uh, you got to the final against uh, James Wilstrup. Obviously, you know him well. He was your doubles partner uh, at the Commonwealth Games. But uh, you mentioned uh, afterwards that it was an honor to, to play against him in the final. So through the years on your way up, I mean, I, I'm of the generation where I, I looked up to uh, guys like uh, Rodney Martin and uh, Jahangir Khan and uh, those yeah. types of guys. Uh, obviously, you had a different uh, set of players that you looked up to and uh, fashioned yourself after. Who would have those players uh, have been uh, for you on the way up? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, um, you know, fellow countrymen um, in England, it is people like... James um, and Nick Matthew and Daryl Selby and Peter Barker, that sort of golden generation of the England, of the English players who were at the top of the game for a long, long time. Um, also, someone like uh, Amir Shibana looked up to a huge amount uh, growing up. So it was quite, uh, it's quite interesting. I mean, you mentioned uh, obviously playing James in that final. It's, it's quite ironic because I remember watching. The Commonwealth Games. I always used to watch the Commonwealth Games on the TV as a uh, as a kid because it was kind of like one, or at the time, sort of one of the only squash events which was quite widely broadcasted. Um, especially back home, it was on BBC, our, our sort of biggest uh, terrestrial channel at home on the TV. Um, so I remember watching. James and battling it out in the 2006 Commonwealth Games, which was also in Australia, incidentally. Uh, and at that time, I literally must have been about 13 years old. Uh, this is going back, yeah, 12 years ago, I would have been 13. Um, and I kind of remember, you know, being up at silly times in the evening, you know, watching these guys play the singles and the doubles, battling it away. And, and to be honest, if you'd have said to me as a 13-year-old kid, you know, you're going to be there playing a Commonwealth Games in 12 years. Um, I'd have probably probably laughed, to be quite honest. So uh, considering, you know, that came true, and I was actually alongside James, who I was watching as a kid. It was, uh, it was a bit of a pinch yourself moment, to be quite honest. Mm. Well, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, how, how must you, uh, how proud of uh, James were you? Uh, not only did he get the bronze there, but he also did quite well in singles, didn't he? Hugely, hugely. <laughs> you know, I've spoken about it uh, on a number of occasions. You know, it was actually quite emotional. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
it was actually quite emotional for us guys sat on the front row, uh, the England team just supporting him because James is one of the greatest players of our generation and one of the greatest English players ever. And um, even though he's achieved huge, huge, huge amounts in the game, obviously he's been unfortunate not to win sort of a world title or a, or a British Open um, or indeed a Commonwealth uh, gold so to see him get one of those crowns at the later stage in his career it just felt so fitting um so yeah it was a it was it was a really special moment to be able to experience that firsthand and then obviously to uh to sort of ride ride that wave with with James the you know that week in terms of going into the doubles with him it, it did make it even more special yeah yeah for sure yeah I mean um he uh He's one of those guys, isn't he? I hate to belabor James here because I'm here talking to you, but uh, he's one of those guys that, uh, you know, eyeballs on the court when he's, uh, when, when he's playing. A guy like Galtier or Ramy or uh, someone like James, really, uh, really uh, a great for the spectator, isn't he? Yeah, he plays a beautiful game, and I think that's what people like to see. Um, that's what I try to do when I'm on the court as well. I think... Um, there's a lot to be said for the way you play, you know, in terms of how you remembered your legacy and respect and, and these kind of things. I think a lot of that is to do with the brand of squash that you play as to whether or not you'll be remembered. So I think, you know, it, that does say quite a lot, you know, about James and about that, um, that style of, of playing the game, you know. Well, it's quite obvious from watching you play. I mean, you play the right way. You, you seem to be a fair player. You seem to, you know, you... You play, you play a great game of squash, and I guess it rubbed off on you in terms of uh, the guys that you looked up to, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then I think just sort of, um, I think a lot of it comes down to sort of personality and character as well. I was very fortunate to have a really loving and respectful um, uh, upbringing from my parents, you know, the, the values that they taught me um, from a very young age, I think, are what a result of what you see now on the court and in, in life in general, of course. Um, but as I say, yeah, I was always taught the respect for others and, um, you know, manners and these kind of things were very important. And I think um, you must carry that through with, with whatever you do. So, you know, if that, if that means on the court showing respect to your opponent and to everything else that's going on, then I think that sort of, you know, is uh, that sort of translates to, to people as well because hopefully they see that you know you're trying to play the right way and trying to conduct yourself in the right manner um, and I think when you look at athletes across the board it's, it's it's those that you know conduct themselves in a in a really good manner that people often speak well of and, and remember you know you, you Roger Federer's you people like that who yeah. who conduct themselves with character I think I think that's important and that's important to me um, and then the way that I play, and I'm obviously gonna gonna look to carry that forward into you know my whole career. For sure, yeah, that's great. Now, the I just want to uh, get back to talking a bit about the U.S. Open, and also uh, you know you you had a great run there. You had a good, very very uh, good win, a long match against Adrian uh, Waller. I think it went five, and you came through on that with in that one. Mm. Then of course you had to go up against uh, Tarek, and I watched that match on. The, on the TV and um, it looked like you, I mean, you started really well there. It looked like you had a great game plan and maybe 
maybe just the time on court caught up with you there in the last three games. And also, obviously, Tarek's a great player and a dynamic player. Um, so looking back at that, uh, what do you think happened there in the final three games? Was it, a, was it just a matter of maybe a little bit of fatigue setting in as a result of uh, the last couple of weeks? Do you know what? I don't think it was um, from from perspective. Um, I think it's quite easy to look at the scenario that I had the day before and then just say, oh, well, he played sort of 100 minutes the day before, so there's no way he's going to be able to, you know, back up. And, you know, so I think it's quite easy to look at that as, as not as an excuse, but just to say, oh, well, it's okay because you had a long match the day before, so you can't expect too much. I think that's probably, for me, that's not quite the right way to look at it because I just think we all, we, we train so hard, all, all of the players at the top of the game there and, and obviously, I know the work that I put in um, in the gym behind closed doors. It's it's for exactly that kind of scenario, so that when you do have these these grueling matches, you, you can do it. You know, the, the next day and the next day, because in order to win a tournament like the U.S. Open, you do you have to do that, regardless of who you are. If you're Mohammed Al Shabagi, or if you're twenty thirty in the world, if you want to go into the deep the deep stages of a tournament, you just have to be able to back those kind of scenarios up. So I don't point to the the, the physicality of it. I mean, I woke up on the uh, the Monday, I think it was, um, feeling quite good, to be quite honest with you. I did a huge amount of recovery work after after the 100 minutes with Adrian, um, you know, seeing the physio on the bike, warming down, looking after my stretching and my mobility and um, getting the nutrition right and the sleep and, I did absolutely everything that I could and I felt quite good the next day. Um, and I was moving really well. So, you know, I came out of the traps well and so I can't really put it down to that too much. I just think um, Tarek's uh, he's a wonderful player. Obviously, he's, he's up there at about number four in the world. And I just think after the first game, he lifted his pace quite a lot and uh, he, he was just really accurate. He was more accurate than me. Um, over the course of the four games. And I think just the, the, the accuracy at that pace and intensity for that amount of time started to, that's what started to weigh in from my side. Um, although physically I felt like I was still putting in big, big efforts um, because my accuracy um, dipped, you know, in comparison to his, um, he would just he would just out outmaneuvered me too too much, you know. Uh, there was it was sort of a case of one or two shots too many. Um, and don't get me wrong, he was he was hitting some some outrageous shots at times, yeah. you know. He makes he makes you do a huge huge amount of work, um, which is which is positive for me because um, I know having gone away from that match, what I, what I need to do to address it, you know. And I'm quite I'm sort of confident that it's not too much a physical issue or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, little little pointers that I need to address within my game. So, um, no, you didn't yeah, look. Uh, you didn't look tired at all. Real. I mean, you look. You didn't look physically spent or anything. So, uh, obviously, yeah, it's just something within your game that you're you uh, need to identify. Maybe. I mean, you're six foot five, right, Declan? That's that's actually a bit of a misconception. I think it's almost becoming a bit of a running joke with uh, with Joey and Squash TV now. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think they're just desperate to label me as like the tallest player on the tour, thinking that I get some extra kudos for that or something. Uh, but no, okay. I'm actually just shy. I'm actually just shy of six four. Um, okay. Trainer, uh, well, I'm six three, so uh, six two, six three. And I I had this question for you. I mean, 
I've played, you play against a guy with a lower center of gravity and they, you know, they up the tempo and they hit it a bit lower and, and, and then they start trying to move you around, which is what I thought I was thinking about myself when I watched you in the latter yeah. stages of the match against Tarek. So in, with that in mind, how do you, um, what, what do you take away from that in terms of going back to the drawing board, so to speak? Do you know what? I don't read into it too much. I think that's probably one of the great things about our sport is the diversity in body types because I guess where the smaller guy has speed and agility, the taller guy has um, sort of reach and stride and these things. And I feel like we all have different sets of um, abilities and skills and, you know, sort of physical attributes um, and it's just a case of making the most of what you have. You know, I'm at the taller end of, uh, of any of the players on the tour. Um, so what I don't have in the sort of speed and agility of the little guys, I'll, I'll make up for in my reach and, and hopefully my, my sort of aura uh, on the court. Yeah. So you just deal with what, what you've been dealt. Um, uh, of course, for me, I have to look, do, do as much as I can to look after my body as, as everyone does. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm really fortunate in that my body's never really let me down, um, much over the years. And I've done a lot of, a lot of background training. So, you know, it's just something that starts to, it's just part of your game, isn't it? Part, it's part of your identity, part of who you are. And you just try and make the most of that and, and reach your potential. Yeah. I guess you just try to play in, uh, impose your game and, uh, go with it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, I was looking at a, a little bit of, at your bio, and uh, you listed uh, Phil Whitlock. Uh, I think he's your, one of your coaches or your main coach. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a guy that, uh, I mean, growing up, I recognized the name. Without social media and without the, the internet, you don't really get to see much of, you didn't get to see much of them play. But back in the day, he was one of the names that was up there amongst the top players in uh, he's your coach. You've clearly got a great thing going with, with him now uh, at the level that you're playing. Tell us a bit about your relationship with uh, Phil, because he's not one of the more, he's a household name, obviously, but not one of the, the names that you hear a lot out there. Yeah, so Phil was uh, full reached about eight of the world, I believe, uh, around uh, that sort of ridiculous generation of your, uh, your, your sort of Jahangir and Jan Shikans and. Uh, and obviously all the great Australians. Uh, so he was up there. He was up there with the best of them. I mean, sort of when you're talking top eight, top ten levels, you know, you're talking world class. So he's been uh, he's been right at the top of the game. Yeah. So myself, obviously, um, Phil is Emily's dad, Emily Whitlock. Um, okay. Female, female English player who's who, who herself is um, sort of inside that top twenty in the world. Um, bracket so you know an excellent an awesome player in her own right and uh, grew up playing juniors with her and I guess that's probably where the relationship started with, with Phil really I think we um, obviously knew who he was from a young age but I think in terms of getting in contact and developing a relationship I was probably sort of 17 18 years old right towards the end of my junior career and I'd never had a coach growing up aside from uh, my uncle who actually taught me the game when I was six years old 
um, and, and through those initial years sort of taught me the basics. Um, but yeah, going through my junior career, never really had a coach. So I think it got to a point there where, you know, I just felt that I really needed an influence um, on my on my game. Um, so got in touch with with Phil through Emily and uh, started working together. And I think straight away it was just it was just a good click. Really liked his his outlook, his view on things. Um, so yeah, we're sort of I guess seven eight years into that relationship now, and without a doubt, Phil's had a huge influence on the way that I plays. Put a lot of discipline into my game in terms of um, growing up. Obviously, I still played at my core the way that I do now, but I was probably a little bit erratic, a bit all over the place with with how I was putting rallies together and and that sort of thing. So Phil put a lot of structure. In fact, structure is probably a better word than discipline, if anything. Yeah, he put a lot of structure into my game. And, uh, and we've got a great relationship. You know, we uh, fortunately is at most of the tournaments um, that I'm at now because of, because of obviously Emily being in, in all the World Series events. Um, had him in, in there with me in Nantes. Obviously, he was in Philly this week. Um, and we're always, you know, continuing to look at ways to improve and to to push these top guys. So yeah, you know, sort of forever indebted to the work that uh, that Phil does. You know, I I, uh, I guess after the uh, I think it was the Nance event, uh, you you did an interview I think maybe with squashmad.com, and in the uh, in the interview you said it was all all about uh, sticking to the fundamentals or playing. Uh, simplify, simplifying it to the point where just st- uh, sticking with the fundamentals. So basically, is that, is that uh, what you're trying to do nowadays, keeping the, you know, keeping the game simple and um, going from there? I think so. Um, I think from my work and the time that I spent on court with the top guys, or my experiences playing the top guys on the tour and indeed training with them um, through the summer months, it's that the, the simplest things are the hardest things to do well. Um, and what you notice, especially with the top 10 guys, is just how well they do the basics. Um, everything's kind of very subtle at that level, you know, but the, the length hitting and the base game is just of the highest quality. And, and what that means is that the rest of, you, you know, the rest of the game, you're attacking stuff, your variations, they become so much more effective because the basics and the fundamentals are so, so in place. Um, and it's often those guys that do those better that are, uh, that are there at the top of the game. So I guess, yeah, for me, it was a case of thinking, I don't want to overcomplicate things. You know, I want to work to the strengths that I do have, but I want to sort of nail on the fundamentals and get, you know, the basic ball control and the length. And don't get me wrong, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a work in progress. It's an ongoing thing um, that's far from finished. But I guess, yeah, that's for sure one of the factors. And I think you see it when you see the top guys perhaps getting rid of the lower-ranked guys a little bit more comfortable. Um, I think a lot of that does just come down to the quality of the basics and their ability to do those, those fundamentals at a sort of a higher pace and intensity that usually proves too much for the lower rank guys is what I'm, what I'm sort of seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so of course for me, that's something that I need to, to, 
that to do as well as I can, you know, so that you, because I think that leads to your consistency and, and you climbing up those rankings, you know. Right. Yeah. I think uh, looking back at the, the last couple of years for you, you might've been in that category with, with where the lower rank, one of the lower rank guys who was getting beaten, but the, the last year or so you're, you're now full, you're, you're now into the first round of the PSA events uh, without having to go through qualifying and you're getting through those early round matches. Uh, so you've proven uh, with your results this season that that's, uh, uh, that isn't uh, luck. Uh, you mentioned uh, about playing in the fundamental, playing fundamentally sound squash. So what is, is it that that's going to get you to the next level? I mean, you've obviously, you've got to win over James. You, you took, you're taking games off of these guys now. So is that what it's going to take? Or is it going to take maybe a little bit extra or a little something else as well? Yeah, it's a bit of a million-dollar question, really. It's always a tough <laughs> I love the million-dollar questions. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, I wish I could produce a, uh, wish I could produce a secret recipe. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. Sort of the, here's the formula that that now just become a top-ten play. You, know? well, you, know, uh, you, might have, uh, you might have hit it on the head a little bit earlier, though. I mean, one win over one of these guys propels you through, through momentum and confidence. Yeah, and I think that's sort of where the mental side comes in, you know, which I could probably talk to you about for days. Um, Mm. I think when you're talking about top 10 level, I think everyone, I think the issue is going back even to your 20s and your 30s and probably your 40s um, in the world ranking wise, everyone is physically very good. Everyone can get a lot. A lot of balls back. Everyone is really skillful in their own right and can hit winners. Um, I think what it comes down to is that mental side and attention to detail and just little marginal things here and there, little one, two percent things. Um, and and for me, probably the foremost of which is just sort of character and 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 determination and how much you know, desire you have, because I think the more you you want something, the more you're prepared to do what's necessary to achieve it in terms of looking at your game and thinking, you know, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to improve on? What are my strengths? How can I maximize them? Um, and, And what you see with the top 10 guys is they all have their own individual sort of super strength, if you like, that, you know, they can, they can fall back on but they've all got a huge amount of character and, and ability to overcome, you know, adversities and, and hard matches and, and hard tournaments. Um, so for me, it's, I think I'm sort of far from the finished article, you know, which is um, exciting because I know that I've got so much that I can improve on. You know, if I was sort of sat here thinking I can't get any better than that, I'd be pretty worried to be honest. But I know that I know there's a lot of uh, a few areas in my game that, that can be improved a lot. So uh, whilst I've still got work to do on, on those fundamentals and, 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 and the things that we've sort of alluded to earlier, I think then a lot of it does just come down to your character because, you know, when, when things like confidence come into the picture so much, you know, you have to have belief that you can sort of break through those barriers and and sort of knock the wall down as it were and and put yourself in you know in the sort of put your hat in the ring with those top guys um so yeah there's there's kind of no easy way of answering it so i think it is a 
uh, a sort of an accumulation of a, a lot of small gains, but also I think a huge, huge amount of it just does just come down to character and 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 the person you are and and sort of what you're prepared to do. Not in terms of just working harder than everyone else. It's quite I think it's quite easy to sit here and say just work hard and and, and that's it. I mean, sort of to me, working hard only gets you a seat at the table. You know, it's yeah. kind of then what you do kind of what you do when you're at the table um, it's sort of the bare minimum so yeah I, I like to use that word character a lot because I just think that it, it counts for a lot and with those top guys you just see something about their mentality that allows them to keep, keep raising the barrier you know for sure I mean the game uh, uh, I say this all the time uh, the women's game is really exciting now you've got a collection of 10 uh, even 10 8 girls who could win a tournament and it really looks like it's heading that way on the men's side although Mohammed and uh, Ali are, are playing quite well there's some guys coming up including yourself that are really uh, going to be contending for for that top spot uh, which is exciting for squash I think 100% 100% yeah it's good when it's uh, when it's a little bit more open because um, even though everyone has their favorites in terms of players it's probably not the greatest thing for the sport if you have the same one, two, three people winning every event throughout the year. And as you've said, what you've got at the women's event is, you know, um, a small pantheon of players who, who on their day can, can all sort of beat each other, which is great because they're raising the bar for each other um, over there on the women's side. And, and again, I think it's becoming a bit more like that now on the men's side as well. Um, Again, I agree with what you said. There's no doubt that Mohammed and Ali are the top two players in the world at the moment and have been over the last season or so. They've definitely proved that with their results and the quality of squash they've produced. But you have got you know, players um, below them probably going down sort of eight, nine, ten in the world who are all capable of and have won World Series events, um, which is great for the sport. I mean, it's, it makes, us, makes it tough for, for, for the guys and the girls um, likewise because it's just becoming harder and harder <laughs> to, to make inroads and to win events. But I mean, it's, I mean, overall that's great, right? Because you just want, you want the best competition out there and, and, and it's pushing our sport forward in a, in a really positive direction. So. Absolutely. And uh, another element to this as well is just, uh, it, it was, you know, the Egyptians are obviously uh, have produced some incredible squash, some incredible players over the years, but it really seems now that there's quite a dynamic and diverse uh, group of players from, from around the world that are now competing uh, even within the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good because obviously, uh, you know, the past couple of years that I think the squash world likes to talk about Egyptian dominance, which, you know, don't get me wrong, they do have, um, you know, more players at the top of the game than any other country. There's no doubt about it. But equally, you have got these other countries now popping up, producing um, world-class players, which is <clears throat> which only serves to, I guess, promote our sport and the diversity of it, really. So it's sort of, you know, the more people that can come from, these other countries the better because it just, uh, it just serves to help our sport, you know. Absolutely. Uh, Declan, now I know you've got a big physio session coming up. Uh, or, <laughs> um, but thank, thanks so much for your time today. Now, just a quick one, though. We've been talking a lot about squash, obviously. Uh, but when you have uh, time away from the game, uh, 
after your physio session, for example. Uh, do you listen to a bit of reggae? Uh, I noticed on the wall back there, you got a nice photo of uh, Bob Marley yeah. up there. One of my oh, heroes. They're actually my cousin's, uh, I, li- I live with my cousin. They're actually my cousin's photos. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, a little bit of reggae. And obviously that goes back to, goes back to my, uh, goes back to my, my, my roots, my ancestry somewhat, and uh, sort of half Jamaican. Um, okay. Like I just said, um, but no, I, I listen to a lot of, uh, a lot of hip hop music, a lot of house music, um, quite a, a wide, a lot of music, a wide ranging um, wide ranging genres, but I'd say hip hop and sort of house are the main things that I listen to when I'm uh, pre- preparing for a session or traveling or, or or in the car driving, whatever it may be. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, uh, well, Declan, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. It was a great chat, and uh, I really uh, want to wish you all the best going forward. You're you're great to watch on court. You're coming up, so uh, we're going to keep uh, hopefully have you back on the podcast. Uh, soon after another few victories yeah i appreciate it thanks for having me on it's been uh, it's been great to have a, a discussion with you this morning cheers mate thanks a lot take care thank you bye bye well thank you so much declan uh, that was a really great chat he's definitely one of the players to watch this year he's in the into the top uh, 20 right now again a big win in france in the first event of the year and a promising uh, third round uh, result at the u.s open uh, losing out uh, in a tough match to Tarek Moman 3-1. So bodes well for Declan uh, this season, and all the best to him. And thanks again so much for coming on to the podcast. And everyone out there, thank you for listening. We've got some great podcasts coming up uh, uh, in the next few weeks. So keep on listening, and uh, look forward to hearing your feedback as always. Take care now, and have a great day. Goodbye now.